So I come home, I find my wife in bed with my best friend. So I said, Lenny, I have to, but you? <laughs> oh, yeah. Let me ask you a question, folks. How many of you actually speak English? Show of hands. 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 It's the thing at the end of your sleeve. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah, I'm working Ellis Island here. Has he ever done a warm-up before? Um, not per se. For what, then? He's doing well. He's getting laughs. But he's edgy. I don't like this. Anyway, uh, these two Polish dwarfs go into it. Yeah, yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, what we're gonna do is this. When Fred comes out here, let's give Fred a big, big standing ovation, okay? See? Anyway, so put your hands together, and on the count of three, let's make them feel at home, and we'll all say, Fred, what's with your fucking hair? <laughs> what? What did I say? What did I do? Here we go. Stand up. Stand up. God damn it. Let's do this. One, two, three. Fred, what's with your What do you miss? Since the lockdown, I've missed a lot. But mostly it's people. My friends. My family. Sure, I'd certainly miss the folks that I would normally see on a regular basis before everything went down. But strangely, I've missed my old friends the most. The ones I lost contact with. The ones I've always meant to call. But then life got in the way. Well, life is paused now. So what's my excuse? You know, my family rarely talks together. No animosity or anything. We're just spread out and it doesn't happen much. Until now. Now, every Sunday at 1 p.m., like the NFL early games, the entire family's on FaceTime. And I'm talking to everybody. Aunts, uncles, brothers, kids, parents. You know, I texted my college roommate last weekend. Of course, I wanted to make sure he was okay, but mostly, I just felt compelled. Why? What is it? about this situation that makes me want to reach back. In my heart, I feel like it's guilt. Like I should have done this a long time ago and now life is telling me to do it again. It's an interesting battle. The push and pull between the past and the future. I don't know if I can speak for anyone else, but I try to keep the past at arm's length. I feel that it could hamper the future. The great unknown. The idea that at any time, this moment could be the one that changes everything. Sometimes I justify it by thinking about all the people that I'll reach back to after I've hit some imaginary level of success, respect, financial stability, blah, 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 blah. It's shitty. Because the truth is I need the past. We all do. If you don't keep a balance, you lose a piece of yourself by forgetting. 
After all, you don't want to be some old schmendrick so focused on an unattainable goal you realize you've been minimizing those who care about you the most for decades, only to realize it's too late. The young boy striving for greatness long ago became a bitter old man. And so, we find Buddy Young Jr., once a comedy titan, star of television when television was television, now a cranky relic, throwing a temper tantrum in a restaurant because his brother, also Buddy's agent, has the temerity to retire in his 70s. All Buddy can think about are his lost bookings. As his flesh and blood walks out the door through a hail of curse words, Buddy is about to realize exactly how lost he's been for years. This is Crystal a plague diary and vanity project cleverly cloaked as a podcast series that reviews Billy Crystal movies from the 90s. Today, Mr. Saturday Night. Because you had to be around it, near it. So I let you, because you're my brother, and you were brilliant, and it broke my heart that you never knew what it felt like up there. When it's good, when it's cooking, you got them, they're yours. You can take them anywhere you want. You're powerful. Your prowler stays like a panther. It feels so good, the laughs go right into your blood. You can be a schmuck in the afternoon, but you're the king of the night. And every woman wants to fuck you, and every man wants to know you. You never knew that, Stan. And I felt bad for you. And I wanted you to at least be close to it. I didn't take your life, Stan. I gave you one. Yeah, but you could have been nicer. Mr. Saturday Night is a mess. Both the titular character and the movie itself. It's fitting that the sentence fits multiple meanings because all of this comes back to root with one multi-hyphenate, Billy Crystal. Billy co-wrote the movie. He stars in the movie. He makes his directorial debut with the movie. I try to write my reviews of these films fresh after I've seen them without looking too much at the history behind it. But I get the sense that the movie suffers because there is too much that Billy was precious about. And let's start with the most glaring problem. Our story's told in split timelines. Some of it in the 50s when Buddy is a young hot comic and a television star. Some of it in the modern day when he's a broken man on the last legs of his career. Rare are the movies when you can tell a story like that spending so much time in either world. Usually you have to pick one and have the other side play an echo to it. Yet ultimately, the marvelous Mrs. Maisel story is too fun and the present day story is too important. And they fight for your attention the entire runtime, depriving either of the momentum 
to make you really invest in either. But he's a hard ass. He badgers his writers, terrorizes his brother, and scares the sponsors in the 50s. We find him an old man having learned very few lessons. In hindsight, it might have been better to use the 50s flashbacks sparingly, and only in moments when our present-day buddy is remembering good times as he is punished by his current mortality. As the movie chugs along, you start to realize that the flashbacks don't really tell us much that the present hasn't already said with greater emotional weight. You keep waiting for a deep secret to be revealed in the past that will affect our modern story. Did Buddy cheat on his wife? Did his wife have an affair with his brother, who we saw in the past held a torch for her? Did his now in-recovery daughter first get hooked on drugs while part of his act as a child? And no revelation ever comes. The flashbacks are mostly a chance for Crystal to be what he so clearly wishes he could be in the modern era, a vaudeville star, playing the Borscht Belt, mugging with an unlit cigar under a neon sign with a cigarette sponsor, taking snipes at the then-popular TV miniseries Davy Crockett. Even in the present-day story, he can't help but turn the movie into fantasy baseball camp, spending half a scene trading lines with Jerry Lewis playing himself. It's an hour and a half into the movie, which isn't long. It's like two hours. When we finally get our defining conflict, Buddy's new agent, an awesome Helen Hunt, who's introduced far too late and given far too little to do, gets her client the ultimate big break. The hottest director in Hollywood is a massive childhood fan of Buddy. In fact, he wrote a part of a cantankerous old grandpa in his new movie and named the character Buddy. He would have offered it to Buddy, but he thought Buddy was dead. And so now, Buddy gets his reward. A curtain call, a career resurgence, a press tour with one of the hottest directors in the industry singing his praises. A fitting way to cap his struggle until he's told the part has already gone to Walter Matthau. And so, Buddy does what he's always done. He rips the director, rips his agent, rips his brother who came back from Florida to help him prepare. He lashes out at everyone because the future that has always been out of his grasp has shut the door in his face for the final time. If this sounds like a complex dramedy, it's probably because it should have been one. But there are a few problems. Billy Crystal's not only the star of so many super efficient, super likable comedies before this, that it's just hard to place him as an old curmudgeon. I also wonder how much the studio demanded that Crystal appear more in the movie as the young man that they put on the poster and less buried under old age makeup. And still, 
The movie is effective at telling a sad story of fame gone by. In our final moments, Buddy finds peace. Sure, he's performing for a crowd of retirees in Florida, but they love him for his craft. And for the first time in the movie, as he's shredding an octogenarian in the front row for his awful toupee, he seems happy to enjoy the past and more specifically, the people who made it special for him. Heavy fog hampered search efforts in the area of Sakhalin Island. There is almost no hope that any of the 269 people aboard Korean Airlines Flight 007 will be found alive. At least 30 Americans, including Congressman Larry McDonald of Georgia, were aboard the plane, which the State Department says was shot down by a missile fired from a Soviet Su-15 fighter. now for our disaster of the episode. A reminder that even as the delightful fare of Billy Crystal sparkled across our movie screens, tragedy indeed still existed in the world. In 1992, Boris Yeltsin had to make a decision. A decision that could make amends for something he had nothing to do with, but for which he now represented. On September 1st, 1983, a South Korean airliner was shot down by a Soviet interceptor en route to Seoul. That Boeing 747 departed from Anchorage, Alaska, but due to a navigational mistake made by the KAL crew, the airliner deviated from its original planned route and flew through Soviet-prohibited airspace about the time of a U.S. aerial reconnaissance mission. The Soviet Air Force treated the unidentified aircraft as an intruding U.S. spy plane and destroyed it with air-to-air missiles, killing everybody on board. Instead of admitting the mistake, the Soviet government refused to admit fault. General Secretary Yuri Andropov decided not to make any admission of downing the airliner on the premise that no one would find out or be able to prove otherwise. Consequently, the TASS news agency reported 12 hours after the shootdown only that an unidentified aircraft flying without lights had been intercepted by Soviet fighters after it violated Soviet airspace. The aircraft had allegedly failed to respond to warnings and, quote, continued its flight toward the East Sea, end quote. Some commentators believe that the inept manner in which the political events were handled by the Soviet government were affected by the failing health of Andropov, who was permanently hospitalized weeks after this event and died the following February. And even with that internal understanding, here's how close they came 
to telling the truth. In a 2015 interview, Igor Kirillov, a senior Soviet news anchor at the time, said that he was initially given a printed TASS report to announce over the news on September 1st, which included an open and honest admission that the plane was shot down intentionally by mistake. However, the moment the opening credits of his evening news program rolled in, an editor ran in, snatched the sheet of paper from his hand, and handed him another report which was completely opposite to the first one and the truth. The denial created a tense standoff in an already frigid Cold War. The flight's point of origin was New York City, and the American government immediately took the USSR to task. On September 5, 1983, President Reagan condemned the shooting down of the airplane as the Korean Airline Massacre a crime against humanity that must never be forgotten, and an act of barbarism and inhuman brutality. They have persistently refused to admit that their pilot fired on the Korean aircraft. They have spun a confused tale of tracking the plane by radar until it just mysteriously disappeared from their radar screens, that no one fired a shot of any kind. Soviets soon after admitted that they did indeed shoot the plane down, but disputed much of what American, Japanese, and Korean officials had claimed about it, including the fact that there was no evidence that the airliner got any warnings before they were hit by the missiles. The Soviets stuck to their story that the plane refused multiple warnings before being blown out of the sky. But still, there was a raw wound. After the fall of the Soviet Union, Boris Yeltsin wanted to make further amends. And on November 18th, 1992, in a goodwill gesture to South Korea during a visit to Seoul to ratify a new treaty, he released both the flight data recorder and cockpit voice recorder that had been recovered from the wreckage of KAL-007. He even went further and released transcripts of the communication on the Soviet side that night, revealing publicly new details about how the plane was shot down. It didn't bring back any of the victims, but it did show that the new Russian government would not blindly cling to the dogma of the past. Mr. Saturday and I bombed. A true stinker. 13 million gross on a $43 million budget. You know, technically this did come before City Slickers too, And now I can understand why Billy would want to get into the sequel to the big hit that he just had. And my guess is that this one stunk something awful for Billy. It's obviously an intensely personal project and his directorial debut. But it was not without accolades. Billy got a Golden Globe nomination uh, alongside David Paymer, who played the role of his brother. 
Hamer even got a Best Supporting Actor Oscar nomination. He lost to Gene Hackman in Unforgiven. But yet, we can't end this episode without a return to the theme. It's never too late to do the right thing. Never too late to say I miss you. Never too late to make that call. And for Billy Crystal, it's never too late to make Mr. Saturday Night a hit. Literally, as I record this, virtual casting is underway for a Mr. Saturday Night adaptation on Broadway. Crystal will play the role of old buddy. He joked about how he won't need old age makeup this time. Will this be redemption for the passion project? We don't know. And nor should we. The courage to go back and mend an old wound isn't found in the result. But rather, the attempt. Next week, Forget Paris. Annapolis Colts' first choice is Steve Entman, defensive end, University of Washington. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>